The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf with another podcast. Today we welcome as our guest the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei and its instruction entitled Universe Ecclesiae on the implementation of Benedict XVI's Modu Proprio Sumorum Pontificum. Today we will hear the entire text of the instruction of Universe Ecclesiae. This instruction, signed on 30th of April, 2011 was released on the 13th of May, 2011, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. It is a matter of common knowledge that after the liturgical reform mandated by the Second Vatican Council began to bring in dramatic and even startling changes and innovations, many people remained attached to the older, traditional, preconciliar form of the Roman Rite. Even when Paul VI issued the new order of Mass in the edition of the Roman Missal in 1969, he nevertheless also granted permission for older priests to continue to use the traditional form in force before and during the Second Vatican Council. Later, Paul VI would also permit people, for example in England, to preserve the use of the older form of Mass. In other words, the older form of Mass didn't go away, and it had not been abolished. In 1984, in a document called Quatuor Abhing Annos, Blessed John Paul II, following the recommendation of a commission of cardinals set up to study the question, issued legislation through the Congregation for Divine Worship allowing diocesan bishops to permit celebration of Mass also with the 1962 Missal. After the consecration of bishops in 1988 by the French Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, Blessed John Paul II issued new legislation in his own document, a modu proprio called Ecclesia Dei Ad Flicta, in which he ordered by his apostolic authority that respect should be shown to those who desired the older forms of worship, which he called legitimate aspiration. He ordered by his apostolic authority that bishops should be generous with a wide application of the legislation already granted in 1984. At that time, the Pope used this same document to set up a special office of the Holy See, tasked to help heal the break with Archbishop Lefebvre's group, the Society of St. Pius X, and other groups of traditional Catholics, and also set up new groups under the aegis of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. And also that commission would regulate the use of liturgical books in use before Second Vatican Council, and issue even faculties to priests to use them when they requested and reconcile priests with the church who had been ordained for some uh, group that was not in union with the Holy See. It also set up religious institutes under their own aegis and not under, for example, the Congregation for Religious or under clergy. In other words, the Pontifical Commission was tasked to help regulate all those things having to do with the preconciliar forms of worship and to help 
heal some of the breaks that had occurred in the church as a result of the changes of the Second Vatican Council. So, the Holy Father ordered that respect be shown and there be a generous application of the legislation that was already in force. That was in 1988. But in the years that followed, it has to be said that bishops around the world were not, in fact, generous in granting permission for use of the 1962 Missal, as John Paul II had asked. I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. I'm opposed to it. And they were not, uh, in fact, terribly respectful towards the faithful who had these, what John Paul II called, legitimate aspirations. Then in 2005, Joseph Ratzinger was elected Pope. He had been involved in these matters for years in a very sympathetic way because throughout the church, in every sphere of the church's life, many people interpreted the Second Vatican Council and the liturgical reform with the view of rupture and discontinuity with the past rather than continuity and organic growth in keeping with tradition. Pope Benedict took concrete steps both to bring healing and unity to the church and also to repair the rupture that had occurred in the church's worship, not only through abuses of the rites, the new rites that had been issued, but also, shall we say, in the rites themselves, which had been artificially composed by teams of experts rather than something that had grown organically uh, and easily and slowly and smoothly from pre-existing forms. So, there was a problem of the rites themselves and the continuity which had been interrupted both through abuses and in the rites. And, of course, there was the problem of unity with the church. So, one of the things Pope Benedict did, and this is one of the most important moves so far in his pontificate, so far, was the issuing of new provisions having the force of law in his own document, a modu proprio document called Summorum Pontificum. These juridical provisions said that the preconciliar missal had never been abolished or never been abrogated. In other words, it was still a legitimate liturgical book. And also, the Pope said, that there are, juridically speaking, two forms of the Roman Rite, two uses, an ordinary use and an extraordinary use, and that priests who had permission to say Mass at all could use either the older form or the newer form, the extraordinary form or the ordinary form. Also, the burden of making decisions about public celebrations of Holy Mass with the older form was removed from the already overburdened shoulders of bishops and given instead to priests, shall we say, an application of the principle of subsidiarity. These decisions should be made at the lowest possible uh, level of the hierarchy. And so priests were given the ability to make these decisions, and they didn't need permission of bishops to make them, as was previously necessary under the previous and now uh, obsolete legislation in 
John Paul II's Ecclesia Dei Adflicta, and before that, Quatuor Abhinc Annos. It was a whole new ball game with Summorum Pontificum. Summorum Pontificum, which you know gave that permission to priests instead of the bishops, is therefore quite a remarkable document. It is a great boost to the identity of priests, for one thing, and it also is tantamount to an emancipation proclamation for the older form of mass. However, even though the mind of the pontiff, Benedict the Sixteenth was pretty clear, many refused to implement Summorum Pontificum, as it was rather apparently written, and they just refused, uh, just as they had refused to implement Ecclesia Dei in years past. Uh, many bishops, for example, suddenly became very willing to implement Ecclesia Dei, which had given them, the bishops, power to make all these decisions, even though Ecclesia Dei Adflicta was now a dead letter, superseded by Samorum Pontificum. They, suddenly they were interested in implementing the older document. Furthermore, there were some holes in Summorum Pontificum which needed greater clarity, clarification. So at the time of Summorum Pontificum, Benedict said that there would be a three-year period of study of how these things were going to be implemented, the provisions. And during that time, questions were gathered and there were consultations. During that time, many of Benedict's critics also tried to stall or torpedo, otherwise block Summorum Pontificum and weaken those provisions. However, the Pontifical Commission, Ecclesia Dei, was in the meantime placed under the aegis or incorporated into the most important congregation of the Roman Curia, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. It's the most important because it deals with the doctrine of the faith. It's one of the reasons why the congregation is sometimes called La Suprema. It's the supreme congregation of the doctrine of the faith. So now the Pontifical Commission, Ecclesia Dei, had issued, has to issue an instruction about Summorum Pontificum in order first to make clearer the mind of the Pope why he chose to do all this, and also make legal provisions for how to implement the document Summorum Pontificum. They had to clarify the reasons and also clarify some particular issues, uh, such as, for example, procedures. If there are conflicts about what to do or there are questions about how, for example, new things which have arisen since 1962 are supposed to be incorporated into the celebrations of the older forms, or whether they should not be incorporated into the older forms, which is a big question. Do we impose the new things that have arisen backwards in the old, or is the old all by itself? See, these things had to be clarified. So, now, for this podcast, without much more uh, digression, we will hear the document the instruction to help us understand better Samorum Pontificum. In this document from the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, not the Pope, is called Universe Ecclesiae, so named from the first two words of the text of the instruction in Latin. Remember, this is a document of a dicaster of the Holy See. A dicastery is an office of, or like department of the Roman Curia. It's a document of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. It's not a document 
directly from the Pope. Summorum Pontificum was directly from the Pope, a modu proprio document. This is from the commission. But it certainly is indirectly from the Pope because the Pope gave uh, this his, his approval and commanded that it be promulgated. So it reveals the mind of the Pope in these matters. And the Pontifical Commission is tasked to implement everything having to do with the Pope's mind and the law having to do with these things, this particular sphere of the Church's life. It exercises power from the Pope. So, here are a few things to listen for as you hear the document Universae Ecclesiae, the instruction read aloud. First, the Pontifical Commission reaffirms what Benedict XVI said back in 2007, namely that the older books were not abrogated, they weren't totally abolished, they remain legitimate books. But the Commission does this indirectly in language, uh, very clever language, making an assumption in the background that there was merely neglect at the time Paul VI issued the new missal. There was neglect of how we were supposed to deal with the older forms. It just assumes that there was neglect at the time, so there are holes to be filled, and that's what Samorum Pontifical, Pontificum does. It fills some holes, some lacunae. Lacuna being a Latin word meaning like a blank spot or a hole. The instruction uh, from the commission says that, first and foremost, Samorum Pontificum, the Pope's document in 2007, was issued so that all people could benefit from the treasures of the older forms. Not just people who were old and nostalgic. All the faithful. Yeah, listen for that. The instruction says also that there is uh, no specific number of people who must constitute a group. Uh, the, there's no number given. How many have to be in a group? Well, it could be a very small group. They could be from another parish or even another diocese and drive in for the events. Also, uh, concerning the priest, the priest doesn't have to be an expert in Latin. There were some bishops out there who were trying to block the implementation of Summorum Pontificum by saying, well, the priest has to have a test, a test in Latin. Well, apparently that's, that's not the case. Uh, the priest doesn't have to be an expert, but he should be able to pronounce the words and know what they mean, and he should be able to celebrate according to the rubrics. And there's a point about that, too. And also, about that issue of the Latin language, um, you know, think about the double standard that testing a priest on Latin could cause. For example, if a priest has to be an expert in Latin before he could celebrate the Mass in the older form, then a priest would also have to be an expert in, say, Spanish, before saying Mass in Spanish for some group. That's clearly not the case. Everywhere Mass is offered in Spanish in the ordinary form, so why should there be a double standard applied to the extraordinary form? Uh, not only that, the instruction, uh, Universe Ecclesiae, mentions that seminarians should be trained in Latin, but that's already in the Code of Canon Law. It should be done as a matter of course. So if you know, some bishop is complaining that priests don't know any Latin, then the bishops only have themselves to blame because seminaries are supposed to have Latin studies. But I digress. Uh, but this whole issue about uh, training of seminaries, uh, seminarians and also Latin language was not framed in terms of a command. 
Nevertheless, the mind of the pontiff is revealed more clearly in the very strong request that seminarians should be taught the older form and Latin. And if they aren't, I think we can conclude that they are only half trained in their right. Also, note that the instruction says that the ordinary form and the extraordinary form are side by side. It does not say that one is more common than the other. The extraordinary extraordinary means that it's rare, only once in a while. No, it says side by side. The instruction could have said that the ordinary form must be more frequent than the extraordinary form, but it doesn't say that. It says they are side by side. It also calls the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei the hierarchical superior in these matters, and states that bishops cannot issue particular laws contrary to what's found in the provisions of Samorum Pontificum. They can't just you know, set up their own laws, saying, we're not going to obey this, we're going to do it this way instead. And, as is obvious, an obvious point, but the instruction says it anyway, if bishops, or probably anyone else, doesn't like some sort of judgment handed down by the Pontifical Commission, they can always have recourse to the Church's Supreme Court, which is the Apostolic Signatura. Now, a really interesting paragraph is number 28. 28 says that this is special law, and in this matter, uh, these laws, they derogate from all liturgical laws which came out after 1962 and which are in conflict with the rubrics of the 1962 books. So what that means is that the liturgical practices that evolved after 1962, but liturgical practices which are in conflict with the older books in some way, are not to be applied to the 1962 books. You get the implication of that. That means that uh, liturgical practices that came up after 1962, such as uh, the permission for altar girls, uh, which is con in conflict with the older books because only males could have certain roles, or communion in the hand, or extraordinary ministers, for example, of holy communion, they can't be used in the older form of Mass. So this derogate is a very important word in paragraph 28. Uh, it also says that religious orders can use their own particular rites. The Dominicans, for example, had their rites, so they can use that. However, the instruction is silent about other Latin rites, such as the Ambrosian rite, which is also very ancient. It's the rite of the Latin rite that was used in Milan. And there will probably have to be an instruction down the road about that. It just stands to reason. But it'll probably come from the Congregation for Divine Worship, since the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei seems to be uh, focused just on the Roman rite. And also these religious, as it's because it makes specific reference to them. Also, the instruction says that there could be new liturgical books, and the prefaces of the new, newer prefaces can be used in the older mass, and that saints of more recent times can be incorporated into the calendar. But there are going to be provisions about that down the line. So, without further ado, let's hear Universe Ecclesiae of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. I'll read the references, but not the footnotes. Pontificia Commissio Ecclesia Dei, Instruxio, 
ad exequendas literas apostolicas summorum pontificum, a sua sanctitate benedicto papa decimo sexto motu proprio datas. Primum, proemium. Primum, universe ecclesiae litere apostolicae summorum pontificum, benedicti papa decimo sexto, Die septimo iulii anno domini dumilesimo septimo motu proprio date atque inde a die decimo quarto septembris anno domini dumilesimo septimo vigentes Romane liturgie divitias reddiderunt propriores. Secundo. Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei Instruction on the Application of the Apostolic Letter Summorum Pontificum of His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI given motu proprio. Introduction 1. The Apostolic Letter Summorum Pontificum of the Sovereign Pontiff Benedict XVI given motu proprio on 7 July 2007, which came into effect on 14 September 2007, has made the richness of the Roman liturgy more accessible to the Universal Church. 2. With this motu proprio, the Holy Father Pope Benedict XVI promulgated a universal law for the Church, intended to establish new regulations for the use of the Roman liturgy in effect in 1962. 3. The Holy Father, having recalled the concern of the sovereign pontiffs in caring for the sacred liturgy and in their recognition of liturgical books, reaffirms the traditional principle recognized from time immemorial and necessary to be maintained into the future, that, quote, each particular church must be in accord with the universal church, not only regarding the doctrine of the faith and sacramental signs, but also as to the usages universally handed down by apostolic and unbroken tradition. These are to be maintained, not only so that errors may be avoided, but also so that the faith may be passed on in its integrity, since the church's rule of prayer, lex orandi, corresponds to her rule of belief, lex credendi. 4. The Holy Father recalls also those Roman pontiffs who, in a particular way, were notable in this task, specifically St. Gregory the Great and St. Pius V. The Holy Father stresses, moreover, that, among the sacred liturgical books, the Missali Romanum has enjoyed a particular prominence in history, and was kept up to date throughout the centuries until the time of blessed Pope John Twenty-Third. Subsequently, in 1970, following the liturgical reform after the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI approved for the Church of the Latin Rite a new missal, which was then translated into various languages. In the year 2000, Pope John Paul II promulgated the third edition of this missal. 5. Many of the faithful, formed in the spirit of the liturgical forms prior to the Second Vatican Council, expressed a lively desire to maintain the ancient tradition. For this reason, Pope John Paul II, with a special indult, Quatuer Abhinc Annos, issued in 1984 by the Congregation for Divine Worship, granted the faculty under certain conditions to restore the use of the Missal promulgated by Blessed Pope John XXIII. Subsequently, Pope John Paul II, with the motu proprio Ecclesia Dei of 1988, 
exhorted the bishops to be generous in granting such a faculty for all the faithful who requested it. Pope Benedict continues this policy with the motu proprio summorum pontificum regarding certain essential criteria for the usus antiquior of the Roman rite, which are recalled here. 6. The Roman Missal, promulgated by Pope Paul VI and the last edition, prepared under Pope John XXIII, are two forms of the Roman liturgy, defined respectively as ordinaria and extraordinaria. They are two usages of the one Roman rite, one alongside the other. Both are the expression of the same lex orandi of the Church. On account of its venerable and ancient use, the forma extraordinaria is to be maintained with appropriate honor. 7. The motu proprio summorum pontificum was accompanied by a letter from the Holy Father to bishops, with the same date as the motu proprio, 7 July 2007. This letter gave further explanations regarding the appropriateness and the need for the motu proprio. It was a matter of overcoming a lacuna by providing new norms for the use of the Roman liturgy of 1962. Such norms were needed, particularly on account of the fact that, when the new missal had been introduced under Pope Paul VI, it had not seemed necessary to issue guidelines regarding the use of the 1962 liturgy. By reason of the increase in the number of those asking to be able to use the forma extraordinaria, it has become necessary to provide certain norms in this area. Among the statements of the Holy Father was the following, quote, There is no contradiction between the two editions of the Roman Missal. In the history of the liturgy, growth and progress are found, but not a rupture. What was sacred for prior generations remains sacred and great for us as well, and cannot be suddenly prohibited altogether or even judged harmful. 8. The motu proprio summorum pontificum constitutes an important expression of the magisterium of the Roman pontiff and of his munus of regulating and ordering the church's sacred liturgy. The motu proprio manifests his solicitude as vicar of Christ and supreme pastor of the universal church, and has the aim of a. Offering to all the faithful the Roman liturgy in the usus antiquior, considered as a precious treasure to be preserved. b. Effectively guaranteeing and ensuring the use of the forma extraordinaria for all who ask for it, given that the use of the 1962 Roman liturgy is a faculty generously granted for the good of the faithful and therefore is to be interpreted in a sense favorable to the faithful who are its principal addressees. c. Promoting reconciliation at the heart of the Church. Part 2. The Responsibilities of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei 9. The Sovereign Pontiff has conferred upon the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei ordinary vicarious power for the matters within its competence, in a particular way for monitoring the observance and application of the provisions of the Modu Proprio Summorum Pontificum. Confer Article 12. 10. Section 1. 
The Pontifical Commission exercises this power beyond the faculties previously granted by Pope John Paul II and confirmed by Pope Benedict XVI, Confirmodo Proprio Samorum Pontificum, Articles 11 and 12. Also by means of the power to decide upon recourses legitimately sent to it as hierarchical superior against any possible singular administrative provision of an ordinary which appears to be contrary to the modu proprio. Section 2. The decrees by which the Pontifical Commission decides recourses may be challenged ad normam iuris before the Supreme Tribunal of the Apostolic Signatura. 11. After having received the approval from the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei will have the task of looking after future editions of liturgical texts pertaining to the forma extraordinaria of the Roman Rite. Section 3. Specific Norms 12. Following upon the inquiry made among the bishops of the world, and with the desire to guarantee the proper interpretation and the correct application of the motu proprio sumorum pontificum, this pontifical commission, by virtue of the authority granted to it and the faculties which it enjoys, issues this instruction according to Canon 34 of the Code of Canon Law. The Competence of Diocesan Bishops 13. Diocesan bishops, according to canon law, are to monitor liturgical matters in order to guarantee the common good and to ensure that everything is proceeding in peace and serenity in their dioceses, always in agreement with the mens of the Holy Father, clearly expressed by the modu proprio sumorum pontificum. In cases of controversy or well-founded doubt about the celebration in the forma extraordinaria, the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei will adjudicate. 14. It is the task of the diocesan bishop to undertake all necessary measures to ensure respect for the forma extraordinaria of the Roman Rite, according to the modu proprio sumorum pontificum. The Cetus Fidelium, Confirm Modu Proprio Sumorum Pontificum, Article 5, Section 1. 15. A cetus fidelium, group of the faithful, can be said to be stabiliter existens, existing in a stable manner, according to the sense of Article 5, Section 1 of the Modu Proprio Sumorum Pontificum, when it is constituted by some people of an individual parish who, even after the publication of the Modu Proprio, come together by reason of their veneration for the liturgy in the Usus Antiquior, and who ask that it might be celebrated in the parish church, or in an oratory or chapel. Such a cetus, group, can also be composed of persons coming from different parishes or dioceses, who gather together in a specific parish church, or in an oratory or chapel, for this purpose. 16. In the case of a priest who presents himself occasionally in a parish church or an oratory with some faithful and wishes to celebrate in the forma extraordinaria, as foreseen by Articles 2 and 4 of the Modu Proprio Samorum Pontificum, the pastor or rector of the church or the priest responsible 
is to permit such a celebration, while respecting the schedule of liturgical celebrations in that same church. 17. Section 1. In deciding individual cases, the pastor or the rector or the priest responsible for a church is to be guided by his own prudence, motivated by pastoral zeal and a spirit of generous welcome. Section 2. In cases of groups which are quite small, they may approach the ordinary of the place to identify a church in which these faithful may be able to come together for such celebrations, in order to ensure easier participation and a more worthy celebration of the Holy Mass. 18. Even in sanctuaries and places of pilgrimage, the possibility to celebrate in the Forma Extraordinaria is to be offered to groups of pilgrims who request it. Confirmodu proprio sumorum pontificum, Article 5, Section 3. If there is a qualified priest. 19. The faithful who ask for the celebration of the Forma Extraordinaria must not in any way support or belong to groups which show themselves to be against the validity or legitimacy of the Holy Mass or the sacraments celebrated in the Forma Ordinaria or against the Roman Pontiff as Supreme Pastor of the Universal Church. Sacerdos Idoneus, Qualified Priest, Confirmodu Proprio Samorum Pontificum, Article 5, Section 4. 20. With respect to the question of the necessary requirements for a priest to be held idoneus, qualified, to celebrate in the forma extraordinaria, the following is hereby stated. a. Every Catholic priest who is not impeded by canon law is to be considered idoneus, qualified, for the celebration of the Holy Mass in the forma extraordinaria. b. Regarding the use of the Latin language, a basic knowledge is necessary, allowing the priest to pronounce the words correctly and understand their meaning. c. Regarding knowledge of the execution of the rite, priests are presumed to be qualified who present themselves spontaneously to celebrate the Forma Extraordinaria and have celebrated it previously. 21. Ordinaries are asked to offer their clergy the possibility of acquiring adequate preparation for celebrations in the Forma Extraordinaria. This applies also to seminaries, where future priests should be given proper formation, including the study of Latin, and, where pastoral needs suggest it, the opportunity to learn the Forma Extraordinaria of the Roman Rite. 22. In dioceses without qualified priests, diocesan bishops can request assistance from priests of the institutes erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, either to celebrate the Forma Extraordinaria or to teach others how to celebrate it. 23. The faculty to celebrate sine populo, or with the participation of only one minister, in the Forma Extraordinaria, of the Roman Rite, is given by the motu proprio to all priests, whether secular or religious. Confer motu proprio sumorum pontificum, Article 2. 
For such celebrations, therefore, priests, by provision of the modu proprio summorum pontificum, do not require any special permission from their ordinaries or superiors. Liturgical and Ecclesiastical Discipline 24. The liturgical books of the Forma Extraordinaria are to be used as they are. All those who wish to celebrate according to the Forma Extraordinaria of the Roman Rite must know the pertinent rubrics and are obliged to follow them correctly. 25. New saints and certain of the new prefaces can and ought to be inserted into the 1962 Missal according to provisions which will be indicated subsequently. 26. As foreseen by Article 6 of the Motu Proprio Summorum Pontificum, the readings of the Holy Mass of the Missal of 1962 can be proclaimed either solely in the Latin language, or in Latin followed by the vernacular, or in low masses, solely in the vernacular. 27. With regard to the disciplinary norms connected to celebration, the ecclesiastical discipline contained in the Code of Canon Law of 1983 applies. 28. Furthermore, by virtue of its character of special law, within its own area, the modu proprio summorum pontificum derogates from those provisions of law connected with the sacred rites promulgated from 1962 onwards and incompatible with the rubrics of the liturgical books in effect in 1962. Confirmation and Holy Orders 29. Permission to use the older formula for the rite of confirmation was confirmed by the modu proprio summorum pontificum, confer article 9, section 2. Therefore, in the forma extraordinaria, it is not necessary to use the newer formula of Pope Paul VI as found in the Ordo Confirmationis. 30. As regards tonsure, minor orders, and the subdiaconate, the modu proprio summorum pontificum does not introduce any change in the discipline of the Code of Canon Law of 1983. Consequently, in institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life, which are under the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, one who has made solemn profession, or who has been definitively incorporated into a clerical institute of apostolic life, becomes incarnated as a cleric in the institute or society upon ordination to the diaconate in accordance with Canon 266, Section 2 of the Code of Canon Law. 31. Only in institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life, which are under the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, and in those which use the liturgical books of the Forma Extraordinaria, is the use of the Pontificali Romanum of 1962 for the conferral of minor and major orders permitted. Breviarium Romanum 32. Article 9, Section 3 of the Modu Proprio Summorum Pontificum gives clerics the faculty to use the Breviarium Romanum in effect 
in 1962, which is to be prayed entirely and in the Latin language. The Sacred Triduum 33. If there is a qualified priest, a Cetus Fidelium, group of the faithful, which follows the older liturgical tradition, can also celebrate the sacred triduum in the forma extraordinaria. When there is no church or oratory designated exclusively for such celebrations, the parish priest or ordinary, in agreement with a qualified priest, should find some arrangement favorable to the good of souls, not excluding the possibility of repetition of the celebration of the sacred triduum in the same church. Rites of Religious Orders 34. The use of the liturgical books proper to the religious orders which were in effect in 1962 is permitted. Pontificali Romanum and the Rituali Romanum 35. The use of the Pontificali Romanum, the Rituali Romanum, as well as the Ceremoniale Episcoporum in effect in 1962 is permitted, in keeping with number 28 of this instruction, and always respecting number 31 of the same instruction. The Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, in an audience granted to the undersigned Cardinal President of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, on 8 April 2011, approved this present instruction and ordered its publication. Given at Rome, at the offices of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, 30 April 2011, on the memorial of Pope St. Pius V. William Cardinal Leveda, President. Monsignor Guido Pozzo, Secretary. That was the instruction, Universae Ecclesiae, helping us understand better the provisions of Samorum Pontificum. Now, I'm sure you were listening diligently all the way to the end, and at the end you heard that the instruction was approved by the Pope and he ordered its publication. But it was not given a date that it goes into force. You will remember that Samorum Pontificum had a given date, September 14, 2007. And that meant that we didn't have to wait for the vacatio legis to be over. In other words, we didn't have to wait for the document, Sumorum Pontificum, to be promulgated in the Octa and then wait three months after that. Uh, so, because there's a, a kind of a lag time between the time laws are promulgated and when they go into force. Uh, we didn't have to wait in the case of Sumorum Pontificum. But Universe Ecclesia doesn't have a date. And originally I thought that that meant that it would go into force three months after it was to appear in the Holy See's instrument of promulgation, the Acta Apostolici Sedis. The monthly publications of the Acta, however, are kind of behind schedule, so there was going to be some lag time. However, since this is an instruction, it falls under the norms of Canon 34, and as such, an instruction requires no promulgation. No vacatio legis. It binds immediately from the time of its notification, according to the norms of Canons 54 to 56. Specifically, Canon 54, Section 2 says, 
For a singular decree to be enforceable, it must be made known by a lawful document in accordance with the law. Well, this instruction has already been sent in written form uh, to the nunciatures and to the bishops of the Latin Church, and so the instruction is in force now. We don't have to wait until it's in the octa. Also notable is the, the idea that the audience for this instruction is the bishops who are tasked to carry out the provisions of the motu proprio summorum motificum. So this instruction tells them how they should be carrying out those provisions. Nevertheless, when the Acta does come out, we should go and double-check the Latin text. We should always double-check our Latin texts. And there could be changes. Word to the wise. Right? Sapienti pauca. Okay, another thing. You will have been listening diligently to the end to find out what the force of this document was. For example, a few years ago, Redemptionis Sacramentum was issued by the Congregation for Divine Worship. And it was issued in Informa Specifica, which has special weight. Now, this document, Universi Ecclesiae, was not issued in Forma Specifica. But that should not be taken to mean that this is a weaker document. In fact... Uh, it suggests that the Pope thinks that this is a matter of normal church life. It's business as usual. It's the proper thing to do. Redemptionis Sacramentum also had to deal with serious abuses of the ordinary form of the Roman Rite. It had to identify abuses and abolish them, sometimes with very strong language, reprobating some abuses which have troubled us. Reprobating means that it's abolished in such a way that you can't even claim that, you know, the force of custom or anything like that. That's what Redemptione Sacramentum had to do, and so it was issued in forma specifica. Well, I think that Universi Ecclesiae didn't have to be issued like that because it's not trying to eliminate abuses so much as I think it's just trying to make the situation clearer and maybe pry open some brains and pry open some some hearts, maybe abuses, shall we say, just in the in the in the sense of not having your heart open to what the Pope is really trying to do, but not trying to eliminate specific bad things. Also, uh, at the very ending of the instruction, you heard that it was set down on the thirtieth of April, which is the feast of Saint Pius the Fifth in the post-conciliar modern calendar, Pius V had issued the first edition of the Roman Missal, the so-called Tridentine Missal, after the closing of the Council of Trent. He issued it in 1570. And it doesn't seem to me to be a coincidence that that date was chosen to sign this and issue it. Well, if that's the case, then we might also assume that the choice of the release of the text on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima also has some significance. I don't know what that significance is. I don't know what it means, but it could mean something. You decide. And with that, I'm going to wrap this up. We have together heard Universae Ecclesiae, 
of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. And hopefully now we understand something better about the mind of the Pope expressed in his provisions in Summorum Pontificum, which was a great gift to the Church, a kind of emancipation proclamation, both for priests and also for all those who desire the older forms of our Roman liturgical worship. And it was part of our Holy Father Pope Benedict's efforts to renew our Catholic identity and repair something of the breach that's opened up in our tradition, both doctrinal and liturgical. The doctrine and liturgy never being separated the one from the other. And so, this is Father John Zulsdorf, signing off until next time. Please pray for me, as I will for you.